it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Bear Dead. My name is Matt. We cover all things Baylor sports. You can find this podcast on most podcast apps like Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. If you like the podcast, you might consider subscribing or following. And if you do, please leave a review if you are so inclined. Also, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at the Bear Dead Pod, and you can follow me at Matt D Workman. Today, we're going to be previewing Kansas and Kansas State and our ongoing behind enemy lines series where we are talking to rival bloggers and podcasters who cover their teams and we're going just to take a take a little bit of a, a shallow dive into some of those programs um, today we're going to be joined by John Kurtz he covers Kansas State on his uh, YouTube channel also for Manhattan Radio so we're going to look at Kansas and Kansas State and then talk about some of the uh, things that those two programs have going on as we go into the 2021 football season. Um, a couple of things happening in Baylor sports this week. Um, tomorrow, the volleyball team takes on Texas A&M. They had a scrimmage earlier this week, and then their first uh, match looks like it would be against Texas A&M in College Station, Texas. And the soccer team will take on North Dakota State University on Sunday. And that it is in Fargo, North Dakota. Some football news that um, was dropped today was nose tackle transfer from LSU. Siaki Ika was named Polynesian Player of the Year watch list. And so this award is given out yearly to the best Polynesian football player in college football. And Siaki Ika was named to that watch list. So... Here in a second, we'll be joined by John Kirch, and we'll get into a little bit deeper into both Kansas Jayhawks and the Kansas State Wildcats.
Uh, we're now joined by John Kurtz from 1350 KMAN in Manhattan, Kansas, and he also has his own YouTube channel. Um, thanks, John. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about kind of seeing as you cover Kansas State and that you are in the state of Kansas, you'll be able to talk about Kansas and Kansas State and maybe throw in a little bit of a other Big 12 flair in as we see fit. How's that sound? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm down for anything and, and all things Big 12. Awesome. So we'll go ahead and start with um, with Kansas. Uh, I'm sure you can talk a little bit more in depth about Kansas State, so we'll start with Kansas. Um, they have a new head coach coming into this season. Lance Leipold comes over from University of Buffalo. What are the like? What do you think are the reasonable expectations um, in his year one with the Jayhawks? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the the biggest thing I would say would be just to kind of ground the program. You know, I don't think you can quantify it in wins and losses. I think it's just like grounding the program in what a college football program looks like and, and actually should be run. Uh, because frankly, it was it was just a mess with less miles in terms of what was going on with the the coaching staff, what was going on with what they were doing on the field. I mean, they were just so disorganized. Uh, for example, the game against K-State last year, they gave up almost three punt return touchdowns to Phillip Brooks, um, a returner for K-State, where they just kept doing the same thing and punting to the guy over and over again, including one that was literally the last play of the half. Um, you know, it's things like that that would just – it's one thing to be bad. It's another thing to be just severely disorganized and have a head coach who then projects nothing but incompetence when he's behind a microphone. And and I think, honestly, everything I've seen so far um, as a K-State guy, I can definitely admit, I mean, Lance Leipold has been impressive in that regard. I think it just coming in and running a program the way that you would expect a program to be run. So I, I think it's just starting to lay the foundation for, for competency, you know, because I think if you're Kansas, you have to think, and I would imagine their administration with, with Travis Goff, their new athletic director is thinking this way. One thing they also have not done in addition to making bad hires, they just, they, they haven't let guys stick around and truly get in there for four or five years and try to leave their mark on, on the program. And that's, that's what kind of a turnaround you're talking about here. That's going to be necessary. So um, that to me would be like, if you can just start to, make the team more organized, make them look like they are a better team than even if the wins don't come, that's really the emphasis for, uh, for year one. Like I can remember, you know, Bill Snyder, I think took over a much worse program, even than what Kansas is when he got to K state, but he only won one game his first year, but he changed the uniforms. They looked sharper. They were more organized. And anybody that you would talk to would say like, yeah, that was a much better team than what it was before, just in terms of structure and everything. So I think it's just laying the baseline of that structure. And if a win or two comes along the way with it, then, then great. But the, the work is so, so great in front of him right there that I don't think you can set really too much more than that as far as an expectation. And with um, what he's going into the struggles or the kind of like issues they have in front of him, is it possible for really anyone to be able to really, to win at that, at that program? We saw uh, Mark Mangino do in 07, they kind of hit, hit a hit a peak. Um, is that type of success, or even just being bowl eligible, uh, attainable at Kansas for any coach? I think it, I think it is. Um, I just think it's going to take a while. You know, I mean, I think you're talking three or four years down the road minimum if things go well to really truly get to that point because they've just had and you know a uh, Kansas the Kansas beat guys could probably speak more to the specifics on this, but. 
they've gone through a lot of cycles of like Charlie Weiss tried a Hail Mary last ditch junior college recruiting effort that screws up the numbers on the classes because you go yeah. so Juco heavy. Um, David Beatty tried doing some of that too. And that was one of the things that was being preached about that was a positive of Les Miles is that they were really trying to go into high school recruiting and reset the numbers that they had on, on, in terms of the roster. So I think like those are the kinds of things that you're looking at that really need to be fixed over the long term. But I mean, look, I, I think it is certainly possible. Kansas has, you know, I mean, it's an athletic department that makes a lot of money. Um, they do have plenty of resources. And I think the issues that they have had stem from uh, a lot of hubris in some of the hires that they've made, for instance, Weiss and Miles. And then Jeff Long, I do not think was a very good decision as the athletic director. And he had plenty of that hubris going on as well. And that, that really hurt them. But I think now if you, if you have an AD who is more grounded, if you have a football coach who is more grounded, which appears to be the case, I do think there's a path to it. I don't think it's impossible. Um, you can you can never say never on that because, I mean, K-State was literally the worst college football program that the country had ever seen in 1988 before Bill Snyder got there. They wrote Utility U, the article about the program in Sports Illustrated that year, um, and K-State was winning nine games in a bowl game five years later. So you can you can never say never on that, and um, you know I, I think it is it is possible. And with all that being said, this year is going to be a little bit of a tough road to hoe um, for the Jayhawks. If there is a, a, a game on their schedule that you could maybe, maybe get an upset, because I think their over-under is like one and a half. So what game stands out to you, or even do you think that maybe they can catch someone off guard to uh, to get a, an upset this season? Yeah, I mean, the I hate to say it because it's like the – the thing that comes to mind every single year, it sounds like when you talk about Kansas, um, but Texas Tech, I mean, Texas Tech's always a game that I think of. That game is at home. Um, Maybe now, a couple I, years ago. I, I don't know. They're at Duke. Um, yeah, Duke. I guess you could throw that out there as a possibility. I'm not 100% sure what Duke actually has out there this year, but um, I mean, at Coastal Carolina is going to be very rough um, and everything else in the Big 12. I mean, yeah, there's not much else there to me that looks like a win. Uh, perhaps Baylor. I mean, I guess your your two best shots based on just results last year would be Baylor at home and Texas Tech at home. But even those, I mean, look, I I say that with a, an extremely low level of confidence, thinking that that's in any way an actual realistic possibility. I I think it'll be very tough, and I think the most likely scenario there would be a one win season for Kansas. But um, hey, they've beaten Texas before. <laughs> Maybe they can jump up and surprise somebody this year. I was saying they did lose a lot for transfer portal. The uh, highly talented cornerback transferred out, went to Missouri. Um, how do they replace that type of, you know, experience that transferred out for, um, you know, greener pasture, so to speak, this year or how they build towards that in future years? Are we, talk are we talking about Kansas? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think – I don't know. To me, so much of it with Kansas is just about being um, – just foundational, laying the foundation on things that you want to do. Um, last year, you know, they were having to run out. And, uh, man, I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, they were running out. Jalen Dan Daniels is right. Yeah. Jalen Daniels, who I, I think they, they really like it at quarterback and I think has a potentially a bright future. He was just so green. And um, I he was like 17 was, years old. Yeah, year, right. So it, was, it was just an unfair position, I thought, to, to put him in. Um, but – everything that you heard from the Kansas program was that they really, really liked him. So, um, you know, perhaps there is still a, a bright future there eventually. And that, that's been one of those places where Kansas just, 
you know, quarterback is so important and they've never really been able to find a good answer there. And they've tried a number of different avenues. They've tried the kind of diamond in the rough high school guy. They've gone with transfers and even in some cases, high profile transfers. I mean, back to the Charlie Weiss era, they pulled in some pretty high profile transfers at quarterback and just nothing has ever really worked. I think in large part, not even so much about those quarterbacks. It's about like, just how do you, I mean, how do you succeed um, with everything that's going on around there? So I think a lot of it could be just what's actually going on uh, around with everything else in the program. If he starts to elevate everything else, rising tide lifts all boats, right? That'll, that'll start to uh, up the level that you're going to get from Kansas there at quarterback or anywhere. And we really can't have a, uh, a big 12 discussion without talking about realignment. So there's the obligatory realignment question in, for, in a, from a Kansas point of view, what is their, do you think, preferred, which I think would be an easy answer, a landing spot versus what is their most likely landing spot? Yeah, well, their the preferred landing spot is definitely the Big Ten. Um, yeah. I mean, because it's been very interesting to monitor how all of this has gone. I think most fan bases, I think the other seven fan bases have a pretty realistic grasp on where they're at and what is most likely and possible. Um, and that doesn't mean that I think everybody thinks that they're screwed and stuck, but I think West Virginia has a pretty good understanding of that. There is a possibility with the ACC. There are some things that make sense there, but right now there's not an overly compelling case that they would financially improve that conference. So you may have to wait it out and see what other dominoes fall. I think Texas tech realizes that being really a bridge into the state of Texas and being the, the largest school by far in terms of enrollment um, and what city they're located in, in Texas. Well, I say that obviously TCU is DFW, but it's such a small university. They have the combination of being in a place that's bigger than your typical college town and um, big alumni base and DFW for tech fans. I think they realize what they have to offer, but I also don't think that tech feels like it's a slam dunk that they're getting into the PAC 12. Um, and you can go down the list, right? But I, Kansas with the big 10, I mean, and some of this has been spurred by um, some pseudo media guys that they have that have floated out there on Twitter, some things that have since been walked back about it being imminent that they were going to the big 10. I think that's really fueled a lot of it, but look, I, I've grown around, can't grown up around Kansas fans my whole life. I grew up in Kansas city, which is, I mean, KU is basically Kansas city's college team. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, there's just, there's a lot of arrogance and it is some of it earned because of the basketball program. And I think that's just what a lot of this stems from that, basketball program they're an AAU university and they think that means it's all going to be too big to fail but they're also being dragged down by the worst power five football program in America that's in the midst of the worst run over the last 10 years that we've seen in a very long time from any power five football program and the numbers have been broken down by Stuart Mandel before about basketball and what it means and hey 25 million dollars might be the most that you could add in value with basketball and that's less than I mean that's like half the payout for a big 10 team per year. So you'd be splitting the pot and then the financials don't add up. So look, I think it's still possible that they can get into the big 10, depending on what dominoes fall, but I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. And I don't think it's a slam dunk or a shoe in. Um, I mean, they may wind up in the PAC 12 or the ACC too. Those could also be options. I think that's the main thing with Kansas is that, you know, I would put them number one on the list of teams remaining in the big 12, but simply because I feel like there are multiple options that they could fall into I just still think in general, they're in basically the same spot as the rest of the eight. They may have more plausible options at some point down the road, but that doesn't mean that they're likely. And so I think Kansas has been an interesting case just be between the expectations and what the reality is. It's been much different than most of the other fan bases and, and media members and everybody in the Big 12. And do you think it's um, the more likely scenario for, for Kansas and all the 
teams involved would be the the eight remain together and either expand or another avenue. I do right right now. That is definitely how I feel. Um, unless we see something different from the Pac-12 here in the next couple of weeks, and it, it was very interesting to hear that George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, said in an interview with the Las Vegas Review Journal here within the last three or four days that they are actually considering expansion. They have heard from a bunch of schools and he said all the schools you'd expect. So you'd imagine that's basically the entire big 12. Um, And that they are going to be deliberating over the next couple of weeks. They have a committee formed and that they would rather decide sooner than later. So they want to get that taken care of in the next few weeks. So we may find out pretty soon um, how likely it is that that's going to happen. If it doesn't happen, then I think we're definitely headed toward the most likely scenario being, yeah, those eight teams, sticking together and, and reaching out to some teams from the AAC, Mountain West, BYU, um, some combo of all that to uh, to fill up the conference. And uh, moving on over to Kansas State, um, is is this year, this 2021 season, is this the, uh, the breakthrough year for the um, Wildcats to compete, you know, push for that maybe third, maybe second spot in the Big 12 Conference? Yeah, I, I am – I am not quite bullish enough on them to go that far. I think they will resemble the team that they were in 2019, which was Chris Kleiman's first year when they went eight and four in the regular season and then lost the Liberty Bowl to Navy. Um, but I, I think they're they're going to be – they have holes on defense and they have a really tough first six games of the schedule. Those are the things holding them back. The pros would be – I think they're, they're going to have a very good offense this year. Um Skylar Thompson returns. He got knocked out in week three last year, which just torpedoed the season. I think they were headed for a very nice year last year. He was playing his best football, beat Oklahoma and Norman. Um, and then gets knocked out. Rico Jeffers uh, knocks him out for the rest of the season in the Tech game in week three. And you had to play a true freshman quarterback in Will Howard. And that's a true freshman in a COVID year where there was no – he didn't have a chance to get spring ball in because of COVID. Didn't have nearly as much practice as even a typical true freshman would. So he was completely thrown into the fire. And uh, the results were pretty poor from that. But between that and Deuce Vaughn, who was a breakout star last year and is just a just a coach's dream in every sense of the word, not just what he is on the field, but what he is off the field. Uh, coach's son, like how smart he is. I just think he's a budding superstar. Um, I love Deuce Vaughn. He's great. He's great. They have a revamped offensive line that's more experienced this year um, and just very deep. So I think offensively, there are a ton of reasons for optimism. Um, defensively, I don't love the linebackers. They lost a couple from last year. It's not a place that they've recruited very well since since Kleiman came in. They lost their best defensive lineman, Wyatt Hubert, to the NFL draft. Um, I think they still have some pretty good talent on the defensive line, but I don't know that they have somebody quite at Hubert's caliber. Um, a lot of talent in the secondary. Depth may be a bit of a question there, but I do feel the secondary should be a strength. It's just the front seven of that defense, I, I don't love. And then the schedule, they open up with Stanford in Arlington, which is yeah. is very winnable. They're a slight favorite right now in Vegas. Um, but it is a toss-up. And then they have Nevada later on at home. And Nevada is a team that also received votes in the top 25, I think might actually be a better team than Stanford. So that's a very tricky game. And then you start Big 12 play with at Oklahoma State and then Oklahoma and Iowa State coming to Manhattan. So it is not an easy road to start the season. So things are not – Clicking for Skylar Thompson coming off of a pec injury, which you can imagine, you know, how tough that would be to come back from throwing a football. If things are not clicking right away, they could get into some trouble early and that could really change the season. So right now, long story short, I'm thinking seven and five, eight and four kind of a year for for K-State. 
in, you, you mentioned Skylar Thompson and Deuce Vaughn. Are there any uh, names that we don't know as Big 12 fans that um, we should know going into the season for uh, for Kansas State? Yeah, so I would point out a couple, um, two on offense and one on defense that come to mind. The one on defense is Julius Prince, who is a transfer corner from Iowa. Um, K-State hit the transfer portal really hard. They wound up getting uh, double-digit players out of the portal to come back into the program, and Prince was really the crown jewel of that. He's 6'3", bordering on 6'4", very long as a corner. Um, I think he's got an NFL future ahead of him. Iowa felt like he had an NFL future ahead of him before um, he wound up opting to transfer there, and he's he's been the talk of first spring ball and then on into fall camp here now. I think he's going to be very, very good. Um, offensively, Look, Malik Knowles has been – he's been around the league. And, you know, Baylor fans would know he had a huge um, – he was like a jet sweep run for a touchdown in the Baylor game. He's, he oozes athleticism and potential. He had an Odell Beckham-like catch against Arkansas State last year. But his problem has always been consistency and namely staying healthy. He's been hurt all the time throughout his K-State career. He has some of the best highlights of anybody on the roster, if not the best, including Deuce Vaughn, honestly. And he just can't stay out on the field. But this past offseason, there were rivers of him transferring. He decided to stay. Everyone has said he is as committed as he's ever been. He did some work on his body, hopefully, to keep him healthy. And, I mean, they're really bought in on him right now being a, a star this year. So he's, I think, holds the keys to a lot of what the season could be. And then the other one would be Daniel Abaterbebe, who's a transfer tight end. Um, his brother Josh just got taken in the NFL draft. He played at, at Illinois. And um, Daniel started his career at USC, spent a couple of years there when um, Sark actually, even he was talking about Steve Sarkeesian's offense at USC the other day. So he's got a ton of talent. He's had an injury history, though, too, in, uh, throughout his college career that's really held him back. So if he can stay healthy, I mean, he look, we were at practice the other day. He looks like a dude. Um, he's somebody else that could be really big. So those are the names I would toss out that uh, hopefully, I mean, if things go well for K-State, you'll, you'll definitely know those names around the league. Uh, talking about the defense, did you do you think you'll see an improvement on the defense side of the ball for Kansas State um, this year compared to uh, last year? I think there will be some improvement just because last year things they, they got hit very hard by COVID and transfers in the middle of the season, and that led to just some horrendous performances at the end of the year, um, particularly Texas and Iowa State. They lost forty-five to nothing at Iowa State, but that was a game where they they found out literally as they were getting off the bus that they had a couple of guys out with COVID and they were missing uh, a handful of linebackers. And so with Brees Hall, you know, I mean, that's not a very good combination at all. And Iowa State just ran rough shot all over K-State. Um, they had a transfer. They lost their starting nickel um, middle of the season, and he was a really valuable piece. And by the end of the year, I mean, the Texas game, they were playing Elijah Sullivan, who had been a linebacker his entire career at K-State. They were having to play him as like a nickel and a safety. Uh, so yeah. that's how bad things got. And they gave up 69 points to Texas. So I think just by virtue of hopefully, I mean, they're they're getting close to 90 percent vaccinated on the team. You would hope that COVID doesn't become too much of an issue for them. If they can stay away from that. If they can stay away from too many catastrophic injuries, I think they'll be better. It's just a question of how how much better. Um, because, you know, frankly, from what they were at the end of last year, they would have to be much, much better to even approach a, a seven and five, eight and four season. And um, unlike Kansas, I've, from what I've seen from Kansas State fans regarding realignment, they've been more of um, self aware, I guess. And, you know, kind of to the point to some of them being like, we're in the worst position of anybody, um, which I don't, I don't agree with, but I've seen some kind of doom and gloom 
scenarios for for uh, Kansas State fans. Do you think their best scenario also is to just stick together with the eight and um, see what happens, see if expands, see if you merge with another conference, or or would they be more uh, served trying to look outside the Big Twelve collective, so to speak? Yeah, I think it, I think it depends on how how realistic you view any kind of Pac-12 scenario. Um, I still think if there is any chance of like a full merger between the two leagues on down the road, if there is any chance of K-State being in a group of four teams, which I mean, I think that's what it would take. If the Pac-12 is taking two, look, there's no way K-State is being included in that. If they're taking four, um, maybe there's an outside shot that you could get into that group. Um, and just from a pure monetary standpoint, if the Pac-12 still includes USC and you could still be a part of that group, the payout is going to be bigger than what it would be in a Big 12 plus American Athletic Conference. Yeah. So I think that's that's still your your highest ceiling and your best bet. But the question just all becomes, yeah, like how realistic actually is that? Um, you know, I mean, K-State would be second on the pecking order, I'd imagine, for the Pac-12 and of schools in Kansas, maybe not, maybe not, but um, K-State doesn't have AAU status, which is something that the Pac-12 likes. They can't be as picky about that as the Big Ten, but they still obviously like that. And I think just from a cultural standpoint, um, Manhattan, Kansas probably is not somewhere that Pac-12 presidents are, are super keen on inviting that place into their conference. So I think there are some roadblocks there. So if we're talking like ultimately realistic options. I do think the most realistic thing to have happen and that would be the best case for case they would be to, yeah, go get UCF, Houston, Memphis, whoever it's going to be, BYU, throw those teams into the conference. You hope that they grow and become more competitive with uh, autonomy, power five resources, um, at least to an extent for a, for a couple of years. And then maybe the next time the TV contract comes around, you, you feel like those leagues have grown or those schools have grown a little bit, your league's grown a little bit, and maybe the, the money won't be quite as bad at that point in time. So none of these are great scenarios. None of these are scenarios that I think K-State fans will particularly love, even if it is the Pac-12. Um, but that to me is kind of the, the situation that K-State's in, unfortunately. And so a thought that I popped into my head when it all started was, with Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12, you kind of have this this power vacuum, so to speak, of inside the Big 12 that there isn't this, you know, big brand school. You know, you don't have the Oklahoma, you don't have Texas. But they're, they, we were, they, or I say we, the Big 12 was still about third in payouts with those teams. Wouldn't it be, you think there is a, a branded team that's in another conference that may say we don't win as much as we sh- should for our brand, we may take a little bit of a cut in money, but if we move to the Big 12, we could take that Oklahoma, Texas spot. Um, like, I mean, the teams that pop in my head is like a Nebraska, who I know they're in, they make a lot of money there in the Big 10, but they're a middling to bottom half program and they see themselves as Oklahoma esque with their history and tradition. And they've been a little vocal about their displeasure with the uh, conference that they're in, maybe they would think about switching and taking a little bit of money hit, but they could possibly contend for Big 12 championships. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting scenario, you know, and I've I, I've definitely heard some of that. I've even heard, like, people mention Arkansas every, every now and then, too. You know, would Arkansas be interested in, in coming back around and, and doing that after they missed out on the Big 12 back in the Southwest Conference days? I – um. You know, I would say that 
it's still very unlikely. I understand why people bring it up. I know there was, there was, it's been maybe a year or two ago, there was an Omaha World Herald um, poll that they did with fans where it was fairly mixed on like whether or not fans regretted the move to the Big Ten. It clearly has not been all sunshine and rainbows based on what's happened on the field and even, yes, on the conflict that they've had off the field and just the way Nebraska's complained about the treatment from the Big Ten schedule makers. You know, they complained about having to start at Ohio State last year, um, which was all honestly hilarious after the fit that they threw about just having a season. But they've clearly had their issues with Big Ten leadership. And Nebraska's problem in the Big 12 always was that they were having to play second fiddle to Texas and that they weren't the top dogs. And now you go to the Big Ten and they're, what, playing seventh or eighth fiddle um, to all the different brands that are out there. So I think there's some things that would be appealing to them, but ultimately I just don't know that they could look at that and say, like, we're going to walk into a a very unstable situation as far as that conference is concerned and potentially be, you know, taking a $25 million haircut. Um, You know, it'd be very interesting to know how much value TV execs would feel like Nebraska adds to the conference. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it would help, but I, I don't think it would be enough to really entice them to do that as much as as much as some of those things that we think could be sensical, you know, would would really link up for Nebraska to come back. Ultimately, it's just a bottom line in college football these days, like money talks. And I just think it's hard to leave the stability of the number two conference in the country and the amount of money that they're going to be making, which is, you know, going to be pushing 60 million dollars per year. Yeah. But their payouts here pretty soon. I think that's just too much to overcome, unfortunately, for the Big 12, as much as I would absolutely love to see it. Would love to see that. Yeah. It's, it's speaking about Texas, they um they you know, the running joke, Texas is back, quote unquote. Um, but every year you have the same thing. The AP poll just came out and they're top twenty-five. Um but they they do have a lot of talent. They always do have talent. However, they are replacing new head coach. Both coordinators, technically 100% of their their coaching staff, is are they reasonably expected to be you know in that top or not top tier but like you know the third team in the Big 12 behind uh, Oklahoma and Iowa State or are they going to have a little bit more of a learning curve this year with the with the new coaching staff? So I tend to lean more toward the the learning curve, and I don't. I mean, I just expect them to be basically what they've been over the last ten years, which is quite literally a seven and five program. I mean, they yeah. average a seven and five record the last ten years, and I I don't think that's any kind of coincidence. That's obviously gone through multiple different coaches. Um, I just until I'm proven otherwise, I'm not going to feel really confident in that. And look, I I get, I understand the argument that they have talent all across the board, but they, I mean, they do every year. And for so long, what it was that they were missing was a quarterback. And then well, Sam Ellinger comes along, and I think he he was a very good quarterback. And he was kind of the glue holding that thing together from splintering off and being a five and seven program over the last four years that he was there. Well, well now he's gone. You know, I mean, Sam Ellinger has been Texas football, and he's been what's kept all of that really afloat. And look, nothing against Casey Thompson or Hudson Card. I mean, I think those guys, look, Casey Thompson looked great when he played at the end of the year against. K-State and then in the bowl game last year. But um, and Hudson Card, I know, has the pedigree of being a super talented kid coming out of high school. But, you know, I've seen that movie before at Texas, and it doesn't always play out the way that Longhorn fans want it to. And even when they hit on the quarterback, it didn't really, outside of one year kind of, where they won 10 games, it didn't really hit the way that Texas fans envisioned it or wanted it to. So you combine losing Ellinger with all of the change, and I'm just pretty so-so on Sark. Um, you know, I 
I think it's a I do think higher of him than I did when the hire was initially made, but he's still a guy that, you know, he did a nice turnaround job at Washington, but then got capped at seven or eight wins. He was never getting higher than that. Um, and then obviously things really went off the rails at USC with his personal problems. So I just, I don't think we've seen from Steve Sarkeesian that he's somebody that can take over like a program with those kind of expectations and be able to, because Washington, it's it's just a little bit different there, and especially what he was inheriting was a little bit different. Texas, you're taking over a program that has talent. It just needs to be elevated to the next level. Um, can he actually do that? I don't know. I don't know. And so long story short, I, I envision Texas being about 7-5 and five this year, especially because, look, Texas, I know you can say Texas gets everybody's best shot every year, but this year that will be times two, times three, just because yeah. of the realignment stuff and what the environments are going to be like that they go into every time that they're on the road. Um, I think that gets ratcheted up even more. So all of that to me is too much for me to say. I think they're definitively the third best team in the league or that they could push, you know, Iowa State for being the second best team in the league. I, I just don't see it this year. And it, especially, I mean, look at their non-conference. They got to play Louisiana and Arkansas and then Arkansas games on the road in their non-con. So, I mean, I'm going to be incredibly curious to see how it is that they make it out of out of September. For sure. And um, on, on the offensive side, yes, I, Sark is a, a great offensive coordinator. However, the, Texas has n- – I don't think they have a returning starting receiver on that team due to transfers and things of that nature. Last year, he had Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, John Mechie at Alabama, and those guys aren't, aren't walking through the door in Austin. So it's, it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve offensively. And to add to the fact, you have a new starting quarterback who's never started before. But also in defense, it's a whole new defensive scheme, so – on both sides of the ball, you have this learning curve um, that's going to take take place. Um, do you think, talking about, let's step back into realignment, do you think that they are getting what they expect to get out of moving to the SEC, or is it kind of like the Nebraska effect when they went to the Big Ten? I would imagine that they're going to be a lot of people feeling like it's the Nebraska effect, at least at first. Look, I understand. I, I, I mean, as angry as Texas makes me with the way that they have just handled themselves since day one in the conference, I can understand if the SEC is interested in you based on what the landscape is of college football right now, I can understand why any school would go. Um, I think when you throw in the context of Texas Basically, coming, you know, it feels like they came in, trashed the hotel room, and then looked around and said, "Well, like, hey, this this hotel room sucks. We need to leave," yeah. um, because they they're basically the reason that you know A and M, Nebraska, Colorado, Missouri, those schools left the first time, and now they're sitting around saying, "Well, we don't like playing KUK State and Iowa State. Our fans don't get excited about it." And it's like, okay, well, you guys kind of created some of this mess. So, you know, I've seen, I've read a, a piece on Inside Texas where they were making the case that, hey, when the Big Twelve was at its best, when Nebraska, K State, and Colorado were all very good. Um, when Mac Brown was in town, that's when Texas was at its best. And so basically the theory there being like better competition will raise the level of Texas's play. I just think Texas made one good hire in the last 30 years, and that was Mac Brown. And that just coincided with that time. And that's why they were good. So, you know, I think they will be about the same, probably six and six, seven and five, maybe eight and four in the SEC for a while. Um, their recruiting probably will see a bit of an up like Texas A&M's did when they were able to slap an SEC patch on their their chest and in the state of Texas recruiting there. But they're also going to have more competition from Oklahoma now who can slap the same patch on their chest and recruit the state of Texas. So I'm not convinced that it's going to be this utopic 
um, coalescence of a bunch of things that a lot of Texas fans, I think, do going to the SEC. So it's probably not going to be like the worst case scenario that we all would love to see the remaining eight schools in the Big 12 where they go in there and they're four and eight, five and seven every single year. I think they'll probably be better than that. But I, I do think that they will. I mean, I don't know what the compelling case is right now that they're going to elevate consistently what they've been right now. I think it'll probably look about like it does here, but just in the SEC. Yeah. And um, that's kind of goes, I don't know if you heard, um, Steve Spurrier said, as far as Texas says, well, they weren't winning the Big 12, might as well not win in the SEC, you know, yeah. that type of thing. Like, it's the same thing going to happen. Um, well, I want to thank you very much, John, for jumping on with me and uh, getting together. We're talking about um, Big 12 sports, and we look forward to We only got, what, two Saturdays, one Saturday, until uh, we have uh, Big 12 football. That's right, yeah. We get to watch uh, watch Nebraska lose to Illinois next week and then roll on into the uh, the actual football season. So uh, really enjoyed it and uh, appreciate you having me on. Why don't you uh, tell people where they can uh, find more of your work if they, if they want to? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely pushing the YouTube channel right now. Just John Kurtz, um, J-O-H-N-K-U-R-T-Z on YouTube. If you want to uh, follow me on Twitter, it's J-L Kurtz, J-L-K-U-R-T-Z. And then um, if you want to find my daily radio show, I do a two-hour radio show every day in Manhattan. Just search the game KMAN on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you do uh, find your podcast. All right. Thanks, John. And um, we uh, maybe we'll talk to you a little bit later when, uh, during the season. Yeah, anytime. Take care. All right. Thank you. I want to thank John again for coming on and talking college football with us. We're talking about Kansas and Kansas State. Um, that was a great conversation. And I wanted to give y'all a little bit of a heads up of what's been going to be going on in future episodes. Next week, we are going to move on with our series, and we're going to cover both Texas and Texas Tech and Baylor and TCU next week. And we are also going to have, for the first time, a preview section next week where we're going to cover Week Zero games. Yes, that's right. This is the last Saturday that there is no college football. Because next week we have week zero games. I think there's about five games next weekend on the uh, 28th of August. That's when it all kicks off. And we are going to take a look at those games, um, preview those games, uh, maybe even make some picks in those games. We'll have to see how that all works out. But the next one to look forward to is going to be the Texas Tech University of Texas preview podcast. And then in midweek, we are going to do a Baylor TCU preview podcast. So you have that to look forward to. I want to thank y'all for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can follow me at Matt D Workman. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at the Bear Den Pod. And until next time, sick and bears. Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.